Well, Monday night, we got the call that there would be no school on Tuesday, so I got up Tuesday morning, looked out, and just started laughing. It was raining. It wasn't even snowing, so drove into work, and you know, I, I just feel very strongly that, that as people that have the privilege of, of working at Lakeside, we're, we're servant leaders, and that's really what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be. And so I'm not saying there's never a situation or scenario where we wouldn't close the office and certainly don't want anybody to ever do anything where they don't feel safe. But I really believe that we need to be available to people, to serve people in the midst of, of what's going on in their lives. So the office was open on Tuesday and we were prepared to serve people, but it was raining. So we went to lunch and we're all laughing about how we survived the blizzard of 2024. And then we came back to the office and we we're getting some work done. And around 2.30, my wife texted me and said, hey, the roads are getting pretty bad uh, up here. You, you might want to come home. And I, I looked out and it wasn't snowing at all. And I'm like, ah, I'm fine. And then about 3.15, Jacob and Kira are like, whoa, it's really coming down. And we looked outside and it was really coming down. Uh, but I looked out the window of my office, and you could still see the grass. So how, ca how bad can it be if you can still see the grass? And I'm like, hey, if, if you guys need to go, go ahead. But, you know, what, whatever. And it just continued to come down. And then around 4, I'm like, all right, we, we can head home. And I left about 4.20 and was leaving the church and got on the roads. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, there they're, they're a little slippery. And what I failed to account for was drifting because when I would look out my window, yeah, you could still see the grass, but other places it, it had drifted a little bit. And, and so I'm like, here we go. And began my quest home and was driving on S and came to a, came to a hill. And so I had to give it some gas to, to get up the hill because I drive a 2010 Honda Civic. Uh, believe it or not, not really known for being a great vehicle in the snow. Uh, so I gave it some gas, and we got up the hill, the Civic and I, uh, and, and as we did, the, the tires started to slide a little bit. And I, I didn't freak out. I didn't panic. I've driven in the snow before. It's nothing major. Didn't overcorrect, didn't slam on the brakes, any of the things they teach you not to, not to do. And, and I, I was just like, all right, I'm going along with the ride. And the car wanted to take me for a ride. And I was about to save it and, and was just going with it. I'm like, okay, I might be able to, to steer this thing back in. And then I saw headlights coming the other way. And I'm like, yeah, it's a 2010 Civic. It's really not worth it. That's really the thought process that went through my mind. And so into the ditch we went. And I'm just sitting there, and all of a sudden, I, I see a, a woman, and she's coming towards me, and she'd, she'd seen me slide off the road, and here it's a mom of somebody that I coached in baseball five years ago, just checking to make sure that I was okay. And I'm like, I'm fine. Thanks so much for checking. She's like, you need anything? And I'm like, yeah, I was just getting ready to Google who to call to tow. And she's like, oh, here's their number. Looks up the number, gave it to me. I'm like, thank you so much. People stopped and, and made sure I was all right. I'm like, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks, I'm fine. And I, I called the tow service, and a half hour later, they, they got there. They towed me out. He's like, sorry, took me a minute. There were four cars in the ditch up ahead of you, and one of them was a squad car. And I'm like, all right, I'll take 42 home. Thanks so much for, for letting me know that. And I thought, do I get a hotel room? Do I spend my night? in the office, and I'm like, no, I, I'll make it, so I'm just, I'm going to take 42 home, so I drove back into town, and, and then I started to take 42 home, and 42 was a mess, it was horrible, 
the only way I knew where the where the road was, where the where the lane was, was because of the rumble strips. And I would just keep my car between the rumble strips, and that's how I knew that I was still on the road. And I recognize I'm in a 2010 Honda Civic, okay? So there's a truck behind me, and, and I recognize that I just got pulled out of the ditch. He probably has a little bit better traction. He probably doesn't want to go as slow as I do. So I pull off where there's a chance for me to pull off, and he goes around me, and he, he fishtails and almost goes in a ditch. And I'm like, yeah. Not, I wanted to see, not because I wanted to see anybody else in a ditch, but because I'm like, it's not just me in the 2010 Honda Civic, all right? Just made me feel a little better. He, he was able to save it, and then he turned right off, and, and I was just, just going from rumble strip to rumble strip, just trying to, trying to stay on the road. And as soon as I hit Door County, there was a plow right in front of me, and I got to follow the plow all the way home. And it provided a clear path where I could see and where I could travel safely. Now, that trip took longer than anybody would ever want it to take. But it enabled me to be safe and to keep everything where I needed to keep it in order to make sure that I would make it home safely. And God does the same thing for us. He has provided his heart to us in Scripture and he provides a plan that if we're willing to follow God's plan, it will keep us safe and it will lead us on a path of incredible fulfillment. It will lead us to the most rewarding, fulfilling life that we could ever possibly imagine to live. And I'm going to repeat that over and over and over again over the course of the next couple months as we look at relationships because here's the reality. God has done the same thing for us in terms of our relationships. He's given us the path. He's given us the plan. And if we will follow God's plan, it will, it will lead us into safe relationships. It will lead us to the most fulfilling relationships we can ever hope to encounter or experience. But here's the problem. The problem is, in terms of relationships, feelings and emotion and desire get involved. And so all of a sudden, we know that God has a plan for us, but we have feelings, we have emotions, we have desire. And we start to wonder, is God's plan really the best plan? If I do things God's way, it's going to require me to take things sometimes slower than I want to take them or go places that I don't want to go. Is it really worth it for me to follow God's plan when my emotions and my feelings and my desires are telling me to do something else? And the answer to that question is yes, it is worth it. And today we're going to see even more in God's design for how we can experience the most fulfilling experience in our relationships that he has created and designed us to experience. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that we utilize every week here. You can find it whatever app store you utilize on your device. And once it's installed on your device, the feature that we use each week is called Events. Once you open up the app and go to the Events tab, you can either enable your locations right in Lakeside, Algoma will pop up and you can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we are in the Old Testament book of Genesis. 
Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 is where we're going to start here in just a minute. If you're joining us via the stream this morning, thanks so much. Stay warm. The verses will be available for you on the screen below as we go back and we continue to look at God's at the account of God's creation and we continue to ex, we continue to discover what God hopes that we would all experience in the relationships that he has designed for us. Genesis chapter 2 verses 4 to 7 we begin by reading these words. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. So here we see the creation of Adam. We see the creation of humanity in a little more detail than we saw last week in Genesis chapter 1. And so this is laying the foundation for where we're going to go and what we're going to see about relationships. We continue in verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what we see here is that God has made humanity. God has made Adam. And here is Adam. He has life. He has work. And he has choices. This is, the, this is the state that God, that God creates Adam in. And Adam is present, he is alive, he has a job to do, he has work, and he has choices to make. I want you to remember that. Again, you might be saying to yourself right now, okay, I know the creation account, I know what God did when he designed people, why are we talking about this in the context of relationships? Remember, this is foundational, and we'll see in just a couple minutes. Now, verses 10 to 14 of Genesis chapter 2 go on to describe some of the, some of the defining characteristics of the Garden of Eden. We're going to avoid those today because, again, we're looking at this in the scope of relationships and jump down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And now we see God provides a restriction and free will. God has now told Adam, You can eat of anything you want, but there is one tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and if you eat of it, you will surely die. So God provides the restriction. So here is Adam. He's been created by God. He has life. He has a job to do. He has work to do. He has choices. He has free will. And we continue. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, as we talked about last week in Genesis chapter 1, at the end of every day, with the exception of day 2, at the end of every day of creation, it ends with this statement, and God saw that it was good. 
Day two ends with, and God saw that it was so. But every other day, which is essentially the same thing, every other day ends with the definitive statement, and God saw that it was good. And now in Genesis 2, 18, we're introduced to this idea. It is not good, God said. What is not good? Adam has life. He has work. He has free will. What's not good? And God gives the answer that he should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, what is the message of our culture in our society? In the context of relationships, in the context of individuality. We live in a culture that's main idol is self. And the message of our culture is this. You don't let anyone complete you. You don't need anything from anyone. And so what have we been taught is important. What I want. What I want. So I need to go make a name for myself. I need to go excel at my career. I need to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want, and no one should hold me down. And how does our culture look at relationships? Why would you want to get into a relationship? Why would you want to sacrifice your autonomy? Why would you want somebody else to hold you back? That's the message that our culture says about relationships. The picture that we're given here of what God says is God says it is not good for Adam to be in the state that he is in. And when you scratch your head and you think about it, but Adam had everything that our culture says is important. Except companionship. And God looks at the state that Adam is in. He has life. He has work. He has freedom. And God says this is incomplete. This isn't good. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. There is no helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, <clears throat> he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And what is Adam's response when God creates Eve? She is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He holds her 
in immense value. He holds her up. The value that she brings, the value that God has created her in. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Here is Adam. He has seen everything else that God created. And now he has seen Eve. And he realizes there is a distinct difference here. That's the regard that he holds her in. That's the value that he sees in her. And what's fascinating to me is he had his life. He had work. He had his choices. And yet he was still lacking something. And all of this flies into the face of what our culture tells us is important. And what our culture tells us is really valuable. Because what are we told? You have to work on you. You have to do what makes you happy. Go build a name for yourself. Go climb the ladder and and keep pouring yourself into those endeavors. Go follow whatever satisfies you. Those are the messages of our culture. So much so that when, when when somebody gets married or enters a relationship, people are like, that's just going to hold you back. And the picture that we're given here is just the opposite. And what does our culture say about this idea of being a helper for someone? That Eve was made as a helper for Adam? And it's not just the feminist thing. It's it's both sides. Nobody, nobody wants to live their lives right now with this idea of I am in a role to support someone. Yet that's what we see here. That in God's design, that Eve is made to be a helper suitable for Adam. And what is Adam's response when he sees Eve? Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. To hold her up in the highest regard. To value her. To treasure her. To see that she is an incredible creation by God. And so, for those of us who are married, this causes us to ask some questions. And to wrestle with some things. And the first question that we have to wrestle with is, how how am I prioritizing my spouse? How am I treating them? Familiarity can breed contempt, and so have I lost sight of the joy I should experience when I serve my spouse? Have I lost sight of how incredible they are? And what a blessing it is that they are in my life. For those of you who find yourself in a place where you're not married, this is what you need to long for, and this is what you need to search for in a spouse. And not let loneliness or desperation or the fact that all your friends are married or everybody thought this would be a great date to set you up with guide your decision making. 
And then we get to the end of Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the end result. This is the benefit of what happens when we do relationships God's way. This is it. So we're going to break this down. We're going to look at it. Therefore, in God's plan and God's design, this is the benefit. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. It's historically or traditionally been called leave and cleave. You leave, you leave your family behind and you cleave together to your spouse. You become one, one unit. You, the moment you get married, the moment you get married, your primary family is your spouse. And we see all the time tensions in relationships because of this principle. We see it all the time. Maybe some of you experienced it a couple weeks ago. Christmas is great. It's, it's a great holiday. It brings people together. It brings families together, which on the surface is great. Except when there's a disagreement in the relationship about the family dynamic. And then it becomes a disaster. And we see this all the time. When, when people are newlyweds, when they're younger, there's tension. And what's the tension that we see? That one member of, of the relationship, more often than not the, the bride, not always, but more often not than not the bride, has, has more trouble letting go of her mom and dad. And so all of a sudden, she wants mom and dad at everything, or she wants to make mom and dad happy. And mom and dad are still used to their little girl. And they're still used to having Christmas around their Christmas tree with their fireplace with brunch, cooking in the kitchen. And now all of a sudden, their little girl's married to a guy that, you know, his family's done things a little different, and he's just like, let's just us, let's just do Christmas with us. And, and she's like, I gotta make my parents happy. And so what happens? There's tension. And if there's going to be tension, remember, leave and cleave. And have the tension be with your parents or with your in-laws, and not your spouse. And all the time what happens is the spouse's desires, they get pushed to, pushed to the back burner a little bit. And it's like, i got to make mom and dad happy. We see this all the time with newlyweds. And on the flip side, we see an adjustment period. And the guys are like, yeah, we don't need family. We're cool. Let's just do it. She's like, but I still love my family. He's like, why? Have you met your parents? Why do you love them? She's like, they're my parents. I love them. And he's just like, let's just, let's just be done. And then there's tension because she's like, I still love my parents. And there are problems. You fast forward a little bit. And then kids are introduced. And kids are fantastic. They are a blessing from God. But they are needy little creatures. And then especially as a newborn, they need everything. And so you got to be on alert constantly, meeting their needs. Because if you don't, you don't keep them alive. 
And so what happens is that requires attention, and that requires energy. And they don't really respect your sleeping pattern because they're selfish. And then you're tired and you're exhausted. And you're caring for these kids. And then you throw a couple more in. And before you know it, all of the attention has been on your kids. And you and your spouse have grown apart. And the goal of parenting has always been, has always been, that we would raise godly adults, that we would raise good adults, that we would help them adjust to the point that we can release them. Why? Because we just saw God's plan. Leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. And what happens is well-meaning intentions all of a sudden convey to the spouse, I don't love you or care about you as much as I care about our kids. And you didn't make a lifetime commitment before God and before your kids. You did to your spouse. And now there's tension. And you feel like strangers. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And here we see the benefit. The benefit is is that they are together and they are joined together. Yes, sexually, they're joined together, but emotionally and relationally, they are joined together. That they are there and they are fully present and they are fully vulnerable, naked, without a shame. That they are fully seen and fully understood and fully accepted. This is God's design. And what happens is, is sometimes this benefit can lead to stresses all of its own kind. That yes, the benefit is sex, but it's more than that. And you're like, well, what, what more do we need? Well, here's emotional intimacy, connection, to be completely vulnerable with somebody. And some of you can't even remember the last time you had sex with the lights on because you aren't comfortable. And you don't feel that connection. And the reasons are are numerous from past regrets and past mistakes. Memories that plague your mind, comparisons that you make, and and all of these things that are contrary to God's plan but are still present in, in your life. Societal pressures. We have 13, 12, and 13-year-old girls getting on Instagram and TikTok and worried about their thigh gaps at at 12 and 13 years old. We live in an age where every picture has been taken 14 times, and then as if that's not enough, it's then filtered after that. And people look at this and say, "I, I can't measure up to that. It's artificial. 
It isn't real, but that becomes the standard that some people place in their mind. I've got to look like that to be appealing. I've got to look like that to be accepted. And because you don't look like that, you get in your own head and you can't be at the place where you're free. And we go to the other end. We don't take care of our bodies. The stresses, of, the stresses of work, the stresses of kids, the time, the cost of buying fruits and vegetables versus just running through the drive through we, we get to a place where we aren't taking care of ourselves and we let ourselves go. The insecurities that we wrestle with, that we've buried deep within, but that still plague us. The secrets that we have, that we don't want to share with anybody. The embarrassment that we might feel of, of certain things we desire and we think, I can't tell anybody that. So we just keep it to ourselves, and then all of a sudden it just begins to eat at us, and we're like, I, I, I will never be known or accepted or loved by them if I share that with them. And so the internet becomes our outlet, or a friend, or a coworker, or a stranger online. And it all harms the intimacy and the connection that God designed us to experience and God designed us to feel right there within the confines of our relationship. And then you throw on top of that porn, which is readily available. You don't even have to go looking for it. It now will come and find you. And what started as, as kind of a curiosity is an interest has grown to a full-fledged addiction, and there's embarrassment, and there's shame, and you just find yourself in this cycle, but it numbs you, and you don't have to work at it, and it's there, and it's enticing, and it's arousing, and it's all those things. And then you throw on to all of this the tension. The tension that in our relationships, which should fulfill us and complete us, we put on the back burner. For what? For our lives? For our work? For our choices? That when there's trouble at home or there's tension at home, it's a lot easier for me to just bury myself in my job. Because I don't feel the tension then. And not only do I not feel the tension, but I get praised then. And I might even earn some extra money. And so I could deal with heartache at home, or I could bury myself into work, and I could just be focused there, neglect what's going on at home, feel better, feel more fulfilled. Or I could spend my time doing what I want to do, chasing my hobbies. I don't have to I don't have to put up with tension from anybody. It's fun. It's enjoyable. 
That's easy. I don't want to help anybody. They don't even appreciate it when I do help them. Don't you see? The very things we run back to at the expense of our relationship are the very things that Adam had all along. God said he's not complete. So here's the question. And if you find yourself there, what I want you to know is there is hope. And we're going to be talking a lot about that hope and we're going to be analyzing a lot of these things over the weeks to come. So do not lose heart. Do not give up. But if you find yourself there, I, I want to ask you a couple questions and, and, and I, want, I want all of us to kind of self-analyze. And the first thing that we need to answer is, am I prioritizing my spouse? Am I prioritizing them? And if not, what is taking that attention and that time away from them? And then we need to ask a couple questions. The first being, do I view my spouse as a gift? Do I hold them still in high regard? Or has familiarity brought contempt? Do I take them for granted? Do I see their value? Not just as a parent. Not just as somebody I'm doing life with. But as an individual and as a spouse. And then the last question is probably the most difficult. Is what have I allowed? in my life to be the barrier. Whether that's work, whether it's hobbies, whether it's our own insecurities, whether it's porn addiction, you name it. What have I allowed, whether it's kids, whether it's parents, what have I allowed to be the barrier? We need to do that self-assessment this week. In the weeks to come, we're going to talk about the solutions. We're going to talk about how we will follow God's plan. It will lead us to the most rewarding, fulfilling relationship we could ever imagine. But following God's plan is going to take us some places we probably don't want to go. It's going to make us move at a pace we probably don't want to move at. But it's the path to the most rewarding, fulfilling life and marriage you can ever imagine. God, I pray that we would be people who follow you in every aspect of our lives. 
including our relationships. So God, guide us and help us and direct us. And I pray, God, that we would be in tune and alert to what your spirit is conveying to our hearts and our minds. That we would be open to changing what we need to change, correcting where we have gone wrong. And Lord, I pray that the marriages in this room and watching online of the people that call Lakeside home would be the strongest around. That we would find fulfillment and joy. We would serve one another, sacrifice for each other. So, Lord, work on our hearts first. And help us love the people that you have blessed us with. Let us see them for the incredible creation that they are. Just help us, God. We pray that you'd be glorified in every aspect of our lives, including our relationships. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.